Hi everyone, this is Pastor Brett from First Baptist Church here in Cherryvale, Kansas, and I want to welcome you to our Cherryvale First Baptist Church sermon podcast. Our prayer is that the Lord will speak to you through His Word for His people. If you're looking for a church home, we encourage you to join us for our celebration service every Sunday morning at 1045. It's a great time of praising our Lord and hearing from Him. We are just a group of passionate followers of Jesus Christ with a desire to worship Him and take His message of hope to the heartland. If you want to find out more information about our church, you can look at our website, www.fbcherryvale.org. My sermon will begin in just a moment, and thanks again for listening. I invite you this morning, find your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 3. As you're turning there, when you think of the word defection, what do you think of? Defection, it's such an ugly word. And so is the word deserter, right? And certainly there's nothing more bewildering and there's few things that are more sorrowing than a Christian who deserts, who defects their faith. They defect the purity of the Christian faith which they had been born again in and by which they had been nurtured. And then they settle for something much less. But strange as it may seem, there are many Christians in the world today that do so. We often see them begin their faith journey. They begin it well. They receive grace through faith in Jesus Christ, extended in salvation. They live that humble faith out in their life. But soon, they fall into systems. Systems of legalism. Systems of ritual. Systems of works. It makes me wonder how many Christians have come, they perceive faith in Jesus Christ in a very personal way, and then now all of a sudden they've fallen into this very liturgical church pattern where they merely go through the formalities. They're merely going through the functions of church. They have only the external symbolisms that are in their walk, and there's been no internal change at all in their life. I wonder how many people, how many begin their walk so well, but then they begin to substitute and substitute things, things like communion, maybe baptism, or sometimes even just sitting in a pew on a Sunday morning, just showing up to them is enough. One of many other kinds of church rituals could fill their void or church rites, they fill the realities of the Christian faith. This is the issue that comes full force to us in our passage today because this is the issue that confronts the heart of the Apostle Paul concerning the hearts of those Galatians that he had been nurturing up. Paul, he had been used as a mouthpiece by God to introduce these Galatians to the truth of the gospel, which was faith plus nothing. That was it. Nothing in a perfect and unfinished work of Jesus Christ in their salvation. But since that time, these Galatians, they have defected away. They deserted the simple purity of this gospel-based faith that they had. And they substituted in a form of religion inferior and impotent. Now, isn't that to say they are necessarily, they haven't lost their salvation It's rather to say what they did now is they substituted in. They substituted the fullness of their life in Christ with a form of religion that had no power. It had no joy at all. And beyond that, the unsaved world, they would look at them and they would conclude that salvation, it comes by legalism. And friends, we know nothing at all could be further from the truth. So Paul, he's extremely concerned here about the defection of these Galatian believers because number one, they've robbed themselves of the fullness of their blessing. And then number two, they've also robbed the world around them a right view of the doctrine of grace. Even though they themselves are saved, they are living in nonconformity to the very doctrine which they had heard that got them saved. Now, We know Satan, he never stops trying, right? He never stops trying to destroy God's plan of salvation. So, if God's plan is a plan of grace, what does Satan do? 
He tries to overbuild that grace with his system of works. If it's a plan of faith, he'll try to add on top of that something else that must be done in order for us to be saved. That's always been his plan throughout all of the world. That's what he did in Galatia, like he's done all throughout history. It started way back. If you go back in your Bible, you'll notice the first time this ever happened was with Cain and Abel. That was the first conflict there between grace and the law. And it has raged on throughout all of history ever since. And it's no different with the Galatians that we're talking about today. How does Satan do it? He moves in, right? He destroys the grace that we've been given by adding to it, adding the law, adding legalism, adding works as a way to please God, as a way to gain God's favor in our life. The Galatians, they were saved purely by faith in Jesus Christ. But now, because of the efforts of these false teaching Judaizers, they were going to make everybody else around them get saved by their works. They decided that they too, they were going to live by these works, thus robbing themselves of their own joy that they had in their salvation and destroying the doctrine of salvation in the eyes of the watching world. So in essence, what happened was they had turned away, turned from grace to the law. They had turned from Calvary to the ceremonies of the new church. They had turned from the freedom they had in Christ to the bondage of the law which they were practicing. They turned from faith to works. You see, the Judaizers, they'd come along to them and they had said, you can't be saved by faith alone. It just doesn't work that way. You've got to be saved also by faith and your works. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. You've got to do all of these things to be able to be saved and to keep your salvation. And they were placing on these people the burden of self-righteousness. As Paul said to the Romans, they go about trying to establish their own righteousness. Then he said this back in Galatians 2.16 said, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because of the works of the law, no one will be justified. Paul defends here the doctrine of justification by faith from the standpoint of experience. From the standpoint of Scripture. And today what we're going to do is we're going to look at that first defense. We're going to look at the defense on the basis of his experience. Justification by faith. What do we mean by that? Well, when it comes to justification, it means we are to be declared righteous. That's really what it is. Justification is to be declared righteous. How do we become justified before God? How do we enter into God's presence? How can we be acceptable to the God that we love? The Bible says it's by what? By faith alone. And that's it, period. That's the doctrine of justification by faith. Meaning that, amen, we are acceptable to God by the faith that is perfected in Jesus Christ. And there's no other way to do it. And nothing we do, nothing we're ever going to attempt in our life in the sense of our own self-righteousness, that has nothing at all. It cannot do anything to help us with our salvation. It doesn't matter how good we are. It really doesn't matter how bad we are. The only question is of the belief in Jesus Christ. That's what justifies a man. Now Paul, he defends this on the basis of his experience when he reaches out to these Galatians. So let's go ahead and read our text for this morning. Please stand in honor of reading God's word. We're reading Galatians chapter 3 verses 1 through 5. It says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? 
Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we just come before you today, and I pray, God, that you will open up this text to us. Let us understand these truths, what Paul is trying to convey to these Galatians that have been a little sidetracked in their faith. And Lord, if we are any of those that have been sidetracked in our faith, I pray that you will use your word, use your text today to bring us back into alignment with you. Let it speak to us. Let our hearts hear what you're trying to say. Let it guide our lives in all we do. It's in your name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. You may be seated. Let me begin by saying this. What Paul, what he was trying to say here was in effect, how in the world, Galatian believers, how could you people ever accept a doctrine of salvation by works when you have already experienced salvation by faith? Have you found that when you experienced salvation by faith, you got everything that there was to get? What are you looking for right now? What are you looking for in these works that they're trying to teach you that you didn't get in that salvation by faith? And what he does here is he pinpoints three ways that their experiences would help them with Christ, with the Holy Spirit, and with God the Father. And so he says in these five verses this morning, based on these experiences, the experience with Christ, the experience with the Holy Spirit, experience with the Father, you should know without a doubt that justification is by faith alone. What are you doing now, friends? Messing up your salvation, putting this works into the doctrine which you've been taught. Paul then, already having established his authority, now he proceeds to defend his message on the basis of experience. And you know, in a sense, experience is the greatest defense. It's the greatest apologetic that we can have because while a lot of people, they have different experiences, it's still true that some experiences in our life, they are true and we can share them. And my experience, he says, my experience is the way I need to do it to defend the faith with these Galatians. In other words, what he's saying, if I say to you, if I believe in Jesus Christ because I have come to him on the basis of the terms of which he laid down, he says what? He says, come to me and believe. Believe in me, and then what you're going to do is you're going to receive me by faith alone. And if you do that, you'll live. Paul says, I did that, and I live. That's an experience right there, verifying the truth of the statement that he was trying to give to these Galatians. This morning, we're going to look at two of those statements we have on experience. I don't have time to do all three. I wish I did, but we're going to do only two of them. So first, we're going to begin with our experience with Christ. What a fantastic statement that Paul, that he starts out this chapter with. Look at verse 1 again. It says, Oh, foolish Galatians. Now, I hope I never hear him say, Oh, foolish Galatians. Cherevalians or whatever we're called here. I don't know what we were called, but oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. What he's saying here is this. He's saying that you openly seen the gospel of Jesus Christ presented. Christ crucified was presented to you. Now you've had that experience in your life. Now the gospel of Christ, it had come to them. It came with clarity. It had come with such power in their lives. They received it. They believed it. They had been transformed by it from meeting Christ. And they're yielding to these false teachers. Now Paul saying that is totally inexcusable for them to do. Why? Because Jesus had been presented to them. He is the source of all salvation given simply to those who did what? Who believed. That's all you had to do was believe. 
It had been clearly and publicly proclaimed to them. There was no excuse now for them to believe in anything else in their life. And what Paul, what he's really trying to do here is this. Recalling to them the conversion when he says, Before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. What he's saying here is there's no doubt. There should be no doubt, my friends, my Galatians. You've seen clearly the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life. You've seen it openly. You've seen it publicly proclaimed. And you saw that he was crucified. Now, I'm pretty sure that Paul was a very dynamic preacher, and I'm sure that these people, they'd sat beneath his feet, and they've listened to this gospel message many, many times, and they could honestly say that, yes, they have seen him openly set forth as crucified. They've seen Christ as crucified. They were convicted of their sins. These people had repented of their sins. They accepted Christ as their perfect sacrifice. They forsook their sins and paganism, and by faith, what did they do? They entered into the kingdom of God, and they became what Scripture calls us, they call us new creatures. And Paul says it was all open. It was all out there in the public's eye. And you people, you responded to it on your own free will. And the miracle happened. A whole multitude of people of you rose up and you walked in this newness of life. You saw him crucified. Now how then, people, how could you ever conclude that legalism now can save a man? You saw it so clearly. You saw that there was only one thing. One thing at all that could save a man, that could redeem them, and that was the death of a perfect sacrifice. Why? Because by the deeds of the law. We can see that all throughout Scripture. The deeds of the law can save no one. God, he sent that perfect sacrifice. Why? To pay the penalty for our sin. Back in chapter 2, verse 21, there was a very interesting comparison that Paul put there. This is what he said. It's in the middle of verse 21. He said, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for what? No purpose. If you can save yourself, if you can be saved by your own deeds, by doing it on your own, what he's saying is that Christ, he died needlessly. Oh, foolish Galatians, he says, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. In other words, now you're saying in effect that he didn't need to die. How can you say that? You've heard the gospel of his death. It was so clearly presented to you, O Galatians. You believed it with your whole heart. You were redeemed right there on the spot by your faith in Jesus Christ when you believed. How now can you deny the necessity of his death? How can you now substitute in this system of works into your salvation? Let me tell you something, friends. Jesus never would have died if he didn't have to. Never would have. What was his prayer? If you go back and look at the Garden of Gethsemane, what was it he prayed there? He said, let this cup pass from me. He didn't want to do it, but he did. Look what he did next. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours being God, your will be done. Through his life, Jesus has said, I must go to Jerusalem. He had to go there because he knew that's where he was going to die, in Jerusalem. He said to himself, this is why I was born. This is the cause for which I had come into this world. Why did he have to die? Because otherwise, no one would ever get to God. If he didn't die, none of us would ever get to God. No one could ever be right with God. No one would ever be accepted by God except through a perfect sacrifice paying the penalty for our sins. You can't do it yourself, my friends. 
Not at all. So they accepted this system of works, these Galatian believers, when they believed that, well, now that they could get saved by keeping these sacrifices, by going through these trivial rituals of the hocus-pocus that was going on in the day, they were, in effect, denying this absolute saving character of the cross in their lives. And he's saying to them here, how can you do that when you've experienced the cross? How can you turn away from what you've been taught to something different? Visually, right before your eyes, he says, you saw it so clearly with your eyes of faith. And now what you're doing is you're kind of backing up in your life. You're backing up to this life of legalism. And you're denying the cross ever happened. Now, Christ was crucified. We know that. It was like, what, almost 2,000 years ago now, right? But does that still have a continuing effect today? Of course it does. Absolutely. There's this sense in that at the moment that someone believes in Jesus Christ, he's in that moment, we call them crucified with Christ. That's what you are when you become a Christian. So the crucifixion of Christ, when you look at it that way, it continues on even to this day. In fact, look at 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And what is he going to do? To keep on. Keep on, keep on, keep on forgiving our sins. And what it literally means is this. He's still righteous to continue to keep on forgiving us of our sins. The cross, it is a historical fact with continuing results. Listen, church, legalism, rituals, ceremonies, routine and religious hocus-pocus things, none of that, nothing picks up where the cross leaves off. Why? Because, friends, the cross never leaves off. It never goes away. It has a continuing effect in our world and in our life. The cross continues to be the only thing, the only thing that substitutes for our sin. It has a continuing effect. Now, what those Galatians probably were thinking at the time was this. Well, well, that's just fine. This cross thing, it had its moments in our life. But now, we need to add to that. We need to add our works into this belief of the cross thing going on. Boy, I sure hope that's not how it works. Works never pick up where the cross leaves off. Why? Because, friends, understand, the cross never leaves off. It never stops. Look, works won't get you into heaven. It will never get you there. And works aren't going to keep you in heaven once you think you're there. Works didn't please God to begin with. What does he call works in Scripture? He calls them like filthy rags. Our own righteousness. Understand, it doesn't please him at all. And so what Paul's saying here to us is this. How could you accept the cross? How could you accept what I presented to you? See all the crosses, all that it did for you, and now you're now turning over to this system of works that these false teachers are giving to you. And you know, friends, this is still what's happening far too often in the church today. So many churches, so many so-called Christians, they have this form of godliness that has no power at all. None. They've got all the religious nonsense going on, but there's nothing there of reality in their faith. People are assuming that they're getting justified now by their good deeds. Oh, if I'm just good enough. Oh, I've, look what I've done. I haven't hurt anybody. It doesn't work. And because they're good, because they're better, because they're best, because they're goody-goody, because they haven't done anything as bad as this person or that person, they think, well, God's got to let me into heaven, right? Acts 13, 39, look what it says. And by Him... Meaning Jesus there. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. All that believe in him 
are justified from all things, which couldn't be justified by the law of Moses. It's not justified by works. It's not justified by anything but faith in Jesus Christ. This is the message of the whole book of Hebrews. Look at Hebrews 7.18. It says, For on the one hand, a former commandment, meaning the law here, is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. In other words, he says the old covenant, now this law of Moses, it's gone. It has passed away. The law can save no one. It never did and it never will. Then look down at Hebrews 7.22. Look what it says. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. He doesn't need to offer sacrifices daily as the high priest. Why? Because he did it, right? He did it once and for all when he offered himself up as that perfect sacrifice on Calvary. Well, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 2, later on, this is what Paul's going to say. He says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. In other words, what he's saying here is Christ, he wasted his time if you can get saved just by getting circumcised. In Galatians 5.3, Paul adds this then. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. In other words, what he's saying here now, get this. If you want to put your faith in your own works, okay, if you want, to, if you want the law to be your measure, then you must do all of the works of the law. You must keep them all. And if you ever have violated even one of those laws at any one particular point in time, then guess what? You've destroyed yourself. And as Paul would say to Galatians chapter 5, verse 4, You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. You have fallen away from grace as a way to God. You've missed it. He's telling him you've missed the mark in your walk with Christ. But we, through the Spirit, we wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. There is no salvation by works, absolutely none. The only way is when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And God, He gives to you the holiness of Christ as a token response to your faith that you have professed. John 3, 14 and 15 says this, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Church, what it is, it's a matter of believing. That's it. Paul said to these Galatians, You had such a clear picture. I gave you such a great picture of Christ crucified. You saw the necessity of his death. You saw what the cross meant. You saw the continuing character of the cross. You saw that it never left off. What in the world are you doing? How have you messed it up so bad and now you've gotten into all this legalism junk? All I can say is don't fall into the trap that those Galatians did. Second thing I want to talk about today under number two is this. He says, it's not only our experience with Christ that is important, but it's also our experience with the Holy Spirit. Paul's saying, you experience not only Christ, but you also experience the Holy Spirit. And if you ignore that, that makes you, he says, a blockhead. That's how I'm going to paraphrase it. You should have thought it through, you Galatians. Do you not know what the Holy Spirit has accomplished? I'm going to tell you, that's in verses 2 through 4 here. First, I want to look at verse 2. He says, he starts out saying, let me ask you only this. It's like he's saying here to these Galatians, I have to ask you a question here. I only want to ask you one question, guys. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Well, the answer is obvious, right? We know what that answer is. They didn't do any spiritual gymnastics in their life to get the Holy Spirit in their lives. What did they do? 
They just simply believed. It's the same way we get the Holy Spirit today. Just one question, he says, how did you get the Holy Spirit? Now, you might be thinking, why does Paul make this such a big issue? It's like this. The gift of the Holy Spirit is the most unmistakable evidence of God's favor there is in our life. The gift of the Holy Spirit is God's greatest proof of man's salvation that there is. The Spirit witnesses within our spirit that we are what? We are the children of God. The greatest proof that you have that you are redeemed is the testimony of the Holy Spirit. When God gives us the Spirit, He gives it only to those who do what? Who believe in Christ. That's why it's ludicrous, friends, as well as anti-scriptural to say, well, you can be a Christian and not have the Holy Spirit. That's like saying, well, God, He saved me, but there's no evidence at all in my life of that, and there's no guarantee of it at all. I don't believe it. No, friends. When a person comes to belief in Christ, God gives them the Spirit as the evidence of God's acceptance of their faith. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, and I'll show you what this means. It says, In Him you also, that is, you in Christ, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So, what he's saying here is when you believe. When you accepted Christ, when you made that profession, you were given the Holy Spirit as a seal on your faith. For what? That's down in verse 14, Ephesians 1.14. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of its glory. Now, when you get saved, you're going to heaven. How do you know that? Because God guarantees that, right? His word guarantees us if we get saved, truly saved, we're going to heaven. Who's the guarantee? He gives us the Holy Spirit. That's his initial guarantee in our lives that we are accepted by him. When you got saved, God says, I have an inheritance for you. And I'm going to give you the down payment right now. And that's the Holy Spirit. To give you a classic illustration of this, let's jump to the book of Acts, chapter 15. Peter here, he's speaking to the Jerusalem council, and he wanted to show the people that the Gentiles, that they were saved by faith. Look what he said in Acts 15, verse 7. And after there had been a debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. All right. We see the Gentiles, they heard the gospel and believed. The Jews had a problem with that. You can say, yeah, they probably did. They didn't know if they could accept that or not. I mean, the Gentiles getting saved simply by faith. But now notice the argument for it in Acts 15, 8. It says, and God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. In other words, he said, God, he came in and he looked at their hearts that's what he was looking at. He looked at their heart and he determined that their faith, that it was real. And he gave testimony to the reality of, the, of their faith. And how did he give that testimony? By giving them the Holy Spirit. God's corroboration of the legitimacy of man's faith is that gift of the Holy Spirit into our life. So the Galatians believed. They had seen Christ. They had seen Him crucified before them. They had received the Holy Spirit at that moment of faith. And Paul says this, listen people, did you receive the Holy Spirit by the works of the law? Did you receive the Holy Spirit by all these religious rites? Did you receive Him by the circumcision? By any of that stuff? By all of that stuff? Or did you receive Him by the hearing of faith? And what was the answer? We know it was by the hearing of faith. 
the Judaizers now, they had come along. They had come in long after the Galatians, after they had accepted Christ by faith. And Paul says to these believers now, did you need that legalism that they had brought in here? Did you need that to know Christ? Did you need this stuff, these works and all that stuff, that legalism to have the Holy Spirit in your life? He's saying, people, use your heads. Use your heads. We know the answer is obvious, right? They received the Holy Spirit by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, exactly like you and I received the Spirit. And church, that's the pattern. That's the norm for faith. Saving faith always brings the Holy Spirit into one's life. He's God's guarantee in our life that we're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Well, those Judaizers, they're like many groups in our world today. They want to introduce these special laws. They want to introduce special conditions into these lives. And if you do this, they say, well, if you, if you do what we want you to do, these laws, these works, and whatever, you're going to get a greater filling of the Spirit in your life. You're going to have a greater experience with the Spirit. You're going to have a greater fullness of the Spirit. And you'll have a fuller salvation, so just do them. Have you ever heard someone say this? We call it here the full gospel. You ever heard somebody call it the full gospel? Oh, we're a full gospel church. It's like they think, well, we're a full gospel church, and there's like some half gospel out there somewhere that everybody else is practicing, right? Friends, it's amazing to me some of these contrived means that people will use to get the Holy Spirit in this particular format. There is no half gospel. There is no full gospel. There is the gospel. The methods they use, they're nothing but works. If you do these certain works, if you put out these certain efforts over here, then you're going to get the Holy Spirit in your life. Mm. Look, the law can't give you the Holy Spirit. It cannot. The only way, the only way you can get the Holy Spirit is when God sent His own Son down into this world to be the likeness of our sinful flesh. His righteousness, He provided that, and we accept it by faith. We receive the Spirit as we do that. No works at all. None can give you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is procured by faith in Jesus Christ, and that sets us free from any of this law stuff that people are trying to put upon us. One thought real quick here. Understand, the Holy Spirit is not the goal of the Christian life. But rather, you see, the Holy Spirit it is kind of the source of our Christian life. So Paul, he kind of shoots down this idea that is so prevalent even today. That there's this fuller kind of gospel that we can get in our life. One that brings the Holy Spirit more fuller into our life. If we just do these certain spiritual acts. If we do these certain works within our lives or in the church. No, 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 friends. He comes fully and only by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. Period. Do you see what Paul's saying here? He's saying this. Their whole experience through what Christ did is so complete. And he's saying, what are you looking for? What more are you looking for in your lives, oh foolish Galatians? Friends, everything is ours just as it was theirs through our faith in Christ. I want you to look at verse 3 with me. He says, are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit and now being perfected by the flesh? What a ridiculous thought. That is a ridiculous thing. I mean, that's really stupid. Like everyone, they say, yes, we began with the Spirit. Because we know that's the only way that you can begin. But then, like many, they say, but we've taken over now. We're kind of in control of it now. But friends, only the Holy Spirit can bring us to maturity. That's the only one that can mature us in our faith to where God wants us to be. Are you perfected by the flesh? Are you kidding me? No way. Paul says, in my flesh there is what? There's no good thing. 
But how many people say, well, the Holy Spirit, it was nice to have around. You've done a pretty good job, but I'm going to take over from here on out. Now, you'd never say that, right? We in this room, we'd never say that about our lives. I hope not anyway. But how many times by our actions do we do that same thing? It's a sad thing to do. Anyone who puts his hope in flesh in their own self-effort, they have fallen into the works and away from the Holy Spirit. They've fallen back on their own impotence. If you want to really be impotent, if you want to really be a nothing in the Christian world, in the eyes of God, simply do this. Do it yourself. Do it your way. Be your own person. And what we're talking about here is not to say, now that you're a Christian, don't do any good things. I'm simply saying, don't put your hope of salvation in your good things, in the good works that you do. And what these Judaizers, what they were talking about here, they weren't even moral things. They were just ceremonies. They were rituals. They were nothing important to the belief and faith in Jesus Christ. They weren't really good or bad. They were just there. It would be like saying, you can be saved if you come to church three out of four Sundays. If you come and you sit in these pews three out of four Sundays a month, you're saved. It wasn't even a moral issue. You see, it was just a ceremonial thing with them. Just an arbitrary ceremony at that. Now, some might say, Pastor, but are you condemning works? No. You see, not at all. I'm not condemning works at all. Listen, listen to what James said here. And let's kind of balance it out here with what he says in James 2.14. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? In other words, what James is saying to us here, friends, is yes, there needs to be works as a verification of your salvation. It doesn't save you, but as your heart changes, he's saying it will verify that the Holy Spirit is working in your life and you are changed. Now notice, it's a different here in what? In attitude. It's an attitude difference. The Old Testament, it says it this way. It says, do this and you'll live. But what does the New Testament say? It says, you live, now do this. That's the difference. If you're doing works to earn God's favor, that's legalism. If you're doing these works because of God's favor in your life, that's spirituality. And I'm talking about moral works. I'm talking about good deeds. I'm talking about good works in your life. The attitude here, friends, is the key in your life. Let me give you an illustration. You read your Bible, right? Hopefully you do. I hope you do. I'm sure most of you probably read your Bible some, okay? Well, the basis of by which you read your Bible, it's, it's a simple illustration here. And it, it could go with your church attendance. It could do with maybe the way that you pray or, or really anything, any of the spiritual disciplines that you have. But we're going to stick with reading the Bible here. Why do you read your Bible? Do you read your Bible so that God will like you better? You say, well, I read two chapters today, so I imagine the Lord, he's really pleased with me because I read two chapters. If you do that, church, that's legalism right there. If you read your Bible, though, to give glory to God, that's spirituality. If you read your Bible to glorify yourself, to put the focus on you and what you've done, you've checked it off the list, that's legalism. Do you see the difference? It's an attitude. An attitude. If you pray to appear God, oh, Lord, Heavenly Father, if you want to get in front of people and pray so that people will look at you, wow, man, he can pray with authority, that's legalism. But if you pray out of the passion of your heart before God, that's spirituality. Friends, it's an attitude within you that's important. And incidentally, friends, one of those is a rotten stench to the nostrils of God, and the other one 
is a sweet-smelling aroma that he savors. It's an attitude that's at the heart of the whole issue that Paul's getting at here. The Judaizers, they had come along, and they said, really spiritual people, they keep these rituals, they keep these ceremonies that we're trying to promote to you. That's a bunch of bunk right there. Or let me use a real technical term here. Maybe you guys use this term, I don't know, but that's a bunch of hooey. Any of you use that term, hooey? It's a bunch of hooey right there. But at the same time, really spiritual people do good works, not to gain glory for themselves, because that's legalism, right? But to give glory to God, to the God who saved them, and that's spirituality. Paul sums up this section in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 4. He said, did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Or in other words, what he's saying here is, have you experienced so many things in vain? I mean, that's the whole key to this section, right there. Have your experiences taught you anything? He's saying, oh, you Galatian blockheads, have all these experiences, all of these things that you've gone through in your life, have they taught you nothing? You've experienced Christ crucified among you. He's saying, friends, put your faith in Him. You've experienced the indwelling of the Holy Spirit with His power and His presence in your life. Put your faith in Him. Let me close with this. What we've seen in our text today Paul saying that these Galatians, they experienced salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. You've experienced that fullness of the gospel of Christ, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he's saying to them, didn't it matter to you? Was it all needless that Christ and you all went through all of that? Having begun in the Spirit, now all of a sudden, now you can change your life over and you can be perfected in your life through these works? Church, friends, don't fall for it. Don't do it. The Holy Spirit gives us great power to live for God, but there are some Christians that just want more. They want to live a life in a perpetual state of excitement. The tedium of the everyday life, that it leads them to conclude that, well, there's something wrong spiritually in my life. It's, it's not real exciting, not real vivid or anything. But how often is it that the Holy Spirit's His greatest works in our life is teaching us to do what? To simply persist to keep on going, to keep on doing what's right in our life, even when it seems less interesting, even when it seems less exciting in our life. These Galatian believers, they quickly turned from Paul's good news, and they turned over to the teachings of these newest teachers that were coming into town, these false teachers that came in, and when they really needed was the Holy Spirit. They needed His gift of persistence at that time. If your life, if your Christian walk, if it seems ordinary... Don't become bewitched like these Galatians did. You need the Holy Spirit to come in. Maybe He needs to come into your life and stir you up a little bit. You should be living life as if every new day, every new day is a challenge. Every new opportunity is a chance to live for Christ, to glorify Him in whatever it is we're doing. There's times when people come up to me and they'll say, Pastor Brad, wouldn't you like more of God? This is what I say. And I encourage you guys can all say this back to them too if they ever ask you that question. This is what I say. I say, no, because you see, I have Christ. And through him, he dwells within me. And through that, I've got the Godhead in my life. Thank you very much. That's all I need. I don't need any more than that. And I'll add nothing to the absolute gift that God has given to me through my faith in Jesus Christ. There's nothing that I can do in my own life that is self-motivated or righteous that can add on to anything that Christ has done for me. But rather what I'm going to do is I'm just going to accept what Christ gives me. I'm going to accept it through faith. How about you? Let's pray. 
I want to thank you for listening to the message today. I pray that this message somehow has touched you and created within you a passion for action for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you have any questions or you need to make any decisions or you just need to talk to someone, I encourage you to contact your local pastor. And if you don't have one, if you don't have a local church, you may contact me through the church office at 620-336-2777. We'd love to see you on Sunday mornings in church for our celebration service. It's a great time of fellowship and worship of our Lord and Savior. Come join us. We know you'll be blessed. And thanks again for listening to the Cherryvale First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. And have a blessed day.